0: This morning, we're going to turn to Philippians 3. It's a passage uh, that I personally find really challenging. It's a passage that if you've been around church long enough, you've likely heard before. Uh, But if you're like me, hadn't taken much time to study it or try and appreciate it or understand it. And this morning, I want to walk through it a little slower than we would normally read through this passage... And try and flesh out what Paul really wants us to take and understand from it. So if you will, will you grab either the Bible in front of you or your own and open up to Philippians 3? Um, because I didn't get them all the slides in advance. you got to be like on top of things. and It's a weakness. While you're flipping though, a little background on this passage. In this passage, we're gonna encounter two groups of people, okay? The first group we would label Christians. They believe that the only way they are made right with God is through faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Very, very Lutheran mantra-esque, okay? And by being right with God, this is kind of a phrase that basically means they would have, at the, they would have the ability to stand before God and go, I'm blameless. That's how they define themselves as blameless, is only through Jesus Christ and what he has done. The second group is more Judaism 2.0, if you will. And we're going to come across them, and we're going to see that they're okay with the idea of Jesus, but for them, what makes them be able to stand before God as righteous or good or blameless, if you will, is their idea that it's something that they do. The issue at stake here in this passage is over circumcision. Apparently what has happened in several of Paul's churches, these Jews 2.0 if you will, are beginning to infiltrate the churches and manipulate the gospel message. From a gospel that was wholly focused on Jesus Christ to a gospel that is all about our works, all about man. And this is a big deal. And as you read in other passages in the Bible, you're going to see, especially in Galatians or Corinthians or even a little in Colossians, Paul, gets, Paul is not okay with these people coming into the churches. And in those letters, he has to fight them off. In this letter, though, in Philippians, it doesn't seem as though these Jews 2.0 have really begun to infiltrate the church as much as he's writing to warn the church to be on guard for be on guard for them so that they don't mess up and fall into their, their, their temptation. Um, also in Philippians, he does something very interesting. His argument on why no one can, be, uh, it, no one can attain this righteous, this blamelessness before God, it, it can't be done by human effort. Because he says if it could have been done on human effort, it's all on him if anybody would have been able to say, look at me, God, I'm the man, it would have been Paul. And we're going to look at that today in terms of why he did that. But we will also see that for Paul, anything that could have been considered impressive by the world standards, by these Jews 2.0 standards, has become completely meaningless to him. It's pointless. For him, the only thing that matters is knowing Christ intimately and personally. In this passage, we're going to see Paul's passion for the integrity of the gospel message combine with his desire for intimacy with Christ. And in so doing, we're going to hear... Paul's going to challenge us. We're going to be re-challenged to think what it is that we hold dear and be challenged and encouraged to once again fix our eyes on Christ. So it's with that that we're going to approach Philippians 3. We're going to read 1 to 11, and then I want to jump down to verse 18, and we're going to read through 4-1. Uh Here's another thing. When I read the Bible, I have a very hard time believing Paul wrote it in the way I like to read in my own quiet times of, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is I, don't, I don't see him doing that. And especially if you ever look at the context of this passage, there's like a huge tangent in chapter 3. Which is funny because it's four chapters. But a whole chapter of this book, letter, is like a huge tangent. And you see, right up until this point, he's kind of talking. It's pretty normal. He gets a little passionate at points. But as soon as you get to three, one, there's a shift. And his passion increases. His desire increases. His zeal really starts to come out. And you see it in his words, and you'll see even in verse 18, he, he's, he's at this point when he's speaking this to Timothy, who's sitting there trying to jot it all down, he's crying with his passion. So it's with that I want to approach this passage as we read it and dive in. But before we do, I'm going to take some water. You ready? Let, let's go. Finally, my brothers, oh, that was loud, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, for it is a safeguard for you. I want you to watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For you got to understand, it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory only in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though so you got to understand, if anyone has reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh... I got more. You got to understand, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I, was, I, I am from of the, is the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. My mom was a Jew. In regards to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for legalistic righteousness, according to my traditions, I was faultless. I was blameless. But church, whatever was to my profit, I, I now consider it loss for the sake of Christ. <laughs> What's more, I consider everything a loss, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, who's my Lord, and for whose sake I have lost all things. It's such there. I consider them rubbish. I consider them garbage. Filth. Awful. I don't want anything to do with them. Scraps for the dogs. That I may gain Christ and be found only in Him. Not having a righteousness that comes from my own, or through the law, but having a righteousness through faith in Christ. For you got to understand, the righteousness of God is only by faith in Christ. And I want to know Christ. And I want to know Christ in the power of His resurrection. And the fellowship of His sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. The hope that this life is not the end. And jump with me to 18 if you will. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears in my eyes, many live as enemies of the cross. Their, destru- their destiny is destruction. Destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is only on earthly things, but that's not us. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and my sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. That is how I want you to stand firm in the Lord. Hear this. This this passage. (laughs) It's not about you. It's not about what you do. It's not about who you are. It's about him. Not Paul. It's about Jesus. It's about a relationship with God himself and that being the only thing that could ever matter. Look, 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 look here. Verse 2, okay, we're jumping back to verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision. This is a great little passage, okay? In Greek, this is a lot more clear what Paul's doing here than in, in what he's doing in English. And normally, I don't like to bring out the Greek because I don't think I'm that good at it, but I got three and a half years, so we're going to try this thing, okay? Ready? Here we go. In Greek, this verse two, watch out for the dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, okay? Okay? Each of those words in Greek starts with a K, okay? It's look at K-word, look at K-word, look out for K-word, okay? In English, the better way of saying this or translating it might be, look out for those canines. Look out for those criminals. Look out for those cutters. His, His rhetorical argument is very clear in the Greek. And then what's more here is it's not just that he's trying to be insulting He's doing a lot more than just insulting. In first century culture, to call someone a dog was not just an insult. It was a lot more than that. For you see, dogs in that culture were looked at as detestable. They were scavengers. Nobody wanted a dog. Now everybody wants dogs. I don't know why. I've read there's something like a million dollars that somebody spent on a dog. That's weird. But, but in this culture, they were considered unclean. No one wanted a dog. Nobody wanted them. And what Paul is doing here in calling them dogs is basically saying, those of you who are trying to come in and tell us that we got to do more to be a part of God's people, you don't understand. We're We're not the ones that are out on the street. We're not the ones who are not part of this kingdom. It's you. You're on the outside. Because Jews viewed Gentiles. Jews viewed those who were on the outside. They called them dogs. You'll even see if you remember the passage in Matthew where a woman comes up to Jesus and asks him, uh, the Samaritan woman asks him for his blessing or something or for help for her daughter. And, and, he's, and she, he responds, you know, I've come to Israel. And he, he, she responds, but even the dogs eat from the scraps of the table. There's this understanding that, the, that those who are outside of the covenant people of God were, were dogs. And Paul is trying to emphasize for us that anybody who thinks they can get good with God on their own matters, on their own works, they're out. That's not it. They're going to fail every single time. And then he goes, look, you think you're doing good, but the truth is you're doing evil. I prefer the word evildoer because it reminds me of comic books. But you're doing evil, men. And then, then it gets really fun, okay? Those mutilators of the flesh. For we are the circumcision. Mutilators, circumcision. Again, in Greek, this gets a lot more fun because this word mutilators is is meant to be seen right along the word circumcision. In Greek, the word for circumcision is peritome. Okay, peritome. In, In Greek, this word for mutilators is katatome. Peritome means to cut around, or katatome means to chop up what he's trying to do here is saying look if you allow yourself to be circumcised you're doing nothing but mutilating your flesh it's completely pointless there's no reason for it he's not trying to dismiss the idea or the power that kind of, the symbolism that's involved in, in um, circumcision but he's trying to dismiss this idea that somehow you by your hands have the ability to make yourself right with God that's just not cool for Paul then he goes on to say, look, that's who they are. This is who we are. We worship by the Spirit of God. We glory only in Christ Jesus. No, saying this. We boast only in Jesus. The only thing that matters is Jesus. And we don't put any confidence in the flesh. Nothing. Nothing we do. But you got to understand, verse 4. If anybody had reasons to put confidence in the flesh, it was Paul. Paul's the man. Look here. Verse 5. I was circumcised on the eighth day, a people of Israel, a tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. Basically, another way of saying this here, this is a very, very weak way of saying this, is, guys, it's really good for you to have me here today. I don't know if you know this, but I'm very similar to Paul. I was born and raised at Grace Lutheran Church. I, was born, I went to Grace Lutheran School. I went to the youth group. I was in Sunday school and got kicked out of Sunday school a lot. Um, what's more is I fell in love with God at a pretty early age, and I went, I went to Biola, the Harvard of the Christian schools. I got a degree in Bible. I've spent a ton of time studying this book, And more than that, more than anything else, I commit my time to the outcasts. I commit my time to the group nobody wants to go to, junior high kids. (laughs) I am the man, is basically what Paul is saying here, is on every level in terms of churchness, he's as good as it gets. He's as good as it gets. But then he goes, verse 7. But it doesn't matter. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss. And then he goes, the end of verse 8, I consider all things rubbish. Okay, his argument builds here again. This is something that we kind of lose in this translation, but it's... He starts with, whatever... Whatever. I don't, I don't really care for them. Those things, they don't really matter. What's more, you know what? I consider everything pointless. You think that's bad. I'm not joking. I consider them garbage. I consider it useless. I don't want anything to do with it. I consider it rubbish. This word rubbish could better be understood as the garbage that you would have that you'd throw in the streets that the dogs would scavenge through. This is, again, another pop to these people that Paul's trying to to kind of uh, argue against. He's like, look, I don't need to worry about that. I worry about Jesus and Jesus alone. You can worry about the other junk. It's pointless to me. Why do I want to get the scraps when I can have the meal? And then Paul shifts and becomes even more even more clear about what really, really counts in this life. That I may know the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is the only passage of Paul's where he doesn't refer to Christ as Christ Jesus, our Lord. This issue was so personal to him. This issue is so important to him that when he says... Christ Jesus, my Lord, it bleeds authenticity. It bleeds that this was not an intellectual exercise or a theological argument for Paul. That This old way of trying to gain righteousness before God, that was how he used to live his life. That was where he put all his marbles. And then he has come in meeting Christ to find it to be absolutely worthless. Completely pointless. For he knows the only thing that matters is knowing Christ. This knowledge of Christ that Paul speaks of is not cerebral. It's not intellectual knowledge. This knowledge that he speaks of is the type of knowledge a parent has with their kids. It's the type of knowledge a husband has with his wife. It's not even the type of knowledge you have with your friends. It's deeper than that. It's more intimate than that. It's more personal than that. And for Paul, it's not about righteousness. It's not about what he can do. It's not about how great he is. It's about Jesus. It's about a relationship with him, that doesn't just sit here on Sunday mornings between the hours of 8.30 and 10.30, but is a righteousness, is a relationship that bleeds into every aspect of his life. Can you imagine Paul standing here and going, great, well now that I've gotten my Sunday thing out, I'm going to go away from here and put Jesus until next Sunday. That's not what he's trying to get at. He's like, this this has infected every area of my life. It's not about what I do or how cool you think I am or how great I look on paper. It's about me being able to proclaim that I am in a relationship with that guy. And the rest of Paul's life, look at verse 10, I want to further know Christ and the power of his resurrection the fellowship of sharing in his suffering so that I might become like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Remember, if you know anything about Paul, he's writing this from jail. He's writing this being unnecessarily persecuted. He's writing this over something he could have just been like, eh, this Christian thing's done. I don't want to do this anymore. Let me out of jail. He could have easily walked away at any point. But he's saying all this in the midst of heavy persecution. And for him, what he understands as growing closer to Christ is suffering. For him, what he understands as growing in Christ is having tough times. Is struggling in his relationships. Is struggling to understand what Jesus went through. Because for Paul, what matters in this life is being conformed to who the person of Jesus Christ is. And it's not about being conformed. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) This intimate knowledge screams of Paul that he wants to be like Jesus. He wants to have his life do what Jesus' life did. He wants his life to be conformed about the things Christ's life was conformed about. Now, here's kind of where I want to... Here's why I wanted to talk to you guys about this passage today. This is an area I struggle pretty well sometimes. I like to put a lot of emphasis in things that don't need to be emphasized. I put a lot of emphasis in my education. I want to finish it because for me, I want that degree. It's not that education at all is a bad thing. But for me, I think sometimes I put too great of an emphasis on trying to get that degree. Other parts of my life, I want to look good in my job. Nothing wrong with trying to do well in your job, but it's a different thing if you're trying to look good in your job for your sake. I struggle with this. I struggle with it in a lot of other areas. But one of the greatest ways I struggle with this, since getting out of college, the Harvard of Christian schools, <laughs> is I spent so much time, and I'm, I'm feeling it again in seminary, I've spent so much time gaining this intellectual knowledge of Christ. Seriously, ask some of these pastors in the room. They could go on for days and days and days about how cool this book is. Like, I'm not kidding. And we can get into really cool things about theology. I'll bring Wayne Grudem, and you can read that thing. That thing is heavy. That's just one book. I mean, huh. But I'm kind of tired, personally, of gaining this cerebral knowledge. I like it. It's entertaining to me. But what I wanted to do with you guys as a church was I wanted to tell you, I really struggle with trying to understand what it means to know Christ intimately. I get it. There's a certain level of intimacy with Christ that I've, I currently experience. There's a certain level of knowledge and a certain level of, of relationship that I have with Christ. But from what I know of Christ through school, through being at church for years, through having conversations with many of you people, I know there's a heck of a lot more to Christ than what I got right now. But personally, I'm really struggling with trying to enter into that relationship further, enter into that relationship deeper. The last two weeks, you've had two other young guys stand up here and kind of share where they were at. Last week, you had Jack, who's a freshman in college, at the Yale of the Christian school realm. (laughs) We'll call it that. Let's just put it this way. Concordia, I don't even know where they fall. That was for Drew. Um, But Jack was able to kind of get up and just share where he's at, and he's just trying to struggle and understand what it means to be a Christian whose plans have shifted away from his plans to his plans to God's plans. And he's trying to live into this life now, trying to balance who is he supposed to be with who is it that God's making him to be. It was a cool sermon. And then two weeks ago, you had Drew come up here. Drew's the one with the really big beard. I have a weak beard compared to Drew. Um, And Drew spoke about his desire, not just with intimacy for God, but intimacy with one another. Drew's desire to take Chris's goals, that first goal that is given in the top of the bulletin, to get to know two people outside of your group and not just get to know them like have somebody else to say hi to on Sunday. But get to know somebody who's going to pour into his life. Get to know somebody who's going to invest in him. And I guess if, I, if, I, if you hear something from me today, what I, what I hope you hear is this. I so desire the exact same thing as Drew. I desire to get to know some of you. Not just so I have somebody else to shake their hand with on a Sunday and say hi, because that's just going to stress me out. I don't know how Chris does it every Sunday. (laughs) But what I'm talking about is I want somebody that's willing to invest in my life. I want somebody, when I come to church, that's willing to talk openly and honestly with me about how they're understanding Jesus. Not about what you're doing. Okay, I know how to do stuff. I'm good at doing stuff. I want to hear from you What's Jesus teaching you? I want to hear from you. How are you growing intimately with God? Here's the thing. Often, I wish, I wish Christianity was not a relationship. I wish it was a set of rules because I know how to do rules. A relationship is hard. It's hard. It takes work. At times, you're going to feel distant in a relationship. It looks different for everyone, so I can't just go, what's Chris do because he seems to be loving Jesus? And mimic what he does. Because it's different. I'm a different person. And a relationship takes time. My wife and I are are not as close um, as we likely will be five years from now. And we're definitely a lot closer than we were five years ago. It'll grow over time. Intimacy. The same thing is true with Christ. Our intimacy with Christ will grow over time. And I'm just going to frankly say it. I've only been a Christian for about 10 years. Some of you have been Christians for about 50 years, maybe more. And it's not something that is a negative. I envy that. I envy your wisdom. I envy how you understand, how you experience, how you intimately know Jesus Christ. I don't envy how you do church. You can do church on your own. I'll figure out my own way to do church. But what I envy is your relationship with Jesus. And church, if you hear this, this isn't just me saying this. I can speak on behalf of all of the junior high, high school, college, and young adults. We're more afraid of you than you are of us, believe it or not but we so desperately desire to know you. We so desperately desire to grow closer to Christ, and we need your help to share with us. But the other part of this is I I hope you see in this message, it's kind of an encouragement personally for you, I know at times I get so caught up in doing church, so caught up in the fact that, oh, I don't read my Bible for 14 minutes a day or have the ability to pray like Pastor Joe for seven minutes straight or whatever it is, (laughs) that I I like to beat myself up and say, I'm not good enough for Jesus. Paul's very clear in this. You're right, you won't. (laughs) You're never going to be good enough for Jesus, but that's the beauty of it. Even though you're not ever going to be good enough to be able to stand before God and go, I'm your man! He wants you. He desires you. He loves you. He cares for you. He he just wants to be with you. This is a beautiful passage. It's a very challenging passage. And I hope that you would take it back with you when you go home, read it again, and allow time with God. Just allow verses 7 and 8 to go, man, God, do I feel the same way. Ask God to reveal what it is that's kind of your your righteousness that you feel makes you good with God. What is it that you're putting in front of your relationship with God and then just ask him, God, I just I don't really care about those things. I want to not care about those things. I want to get to know you better. And then the last thing, please share it with somebody. Encourage us. Encourage one another. At times I get really fired up about my faith, and at times like any relationship, it just feels so distant. I need encouragement. Will you pray with me, and then I think we're going to worship some more, do the offering. Let's pray, and then we'll also pray for the offering. Jesus, we just thank you and give you praise. We thank you and give you praise that you stepped into our world, knowing that we did not deserve you. But in an infinite amount of grace, and infinite amount of love, have come to know us, to direct us to you to reconcile us to you to make us right with you God I recognize that I have issues I recognize God that that's not always the cry of my heart but I pray that my heart is aligned with where Paul's is on this that by your spirit we are drawn to you God I just pray for conviction through your spirit not in the the way that's going to drive me away from you, but, Lord, conviction from your spirit that's just going to make me hungry for you as I leave this place. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here, and I just ask, God, that as a church we would be able to encourage one another effectively. And, Lord, as we turn now to respond to your word, respond to your grace through money, through our offering, I pray, God, that you take this offering as a sacrifice I pray, God, for those who are hurting and are given the money, God, that the money is paid back somehow. I pray, God, that in, in, in giving an offering, God, it is taken as a sign of our trust in you, not our trust in obedience of church, but a sign of, like Paul, we trust only in Christ and that our offering would be a symbol of that. All of this, I pray in the powerful name of the one who loves us. Amen.